Okay, welcome back to Behind the Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Robinson. If you're interested in all things brain health and want to learn more about this magnificent organ in your head, then you're in the right place. So this show is where we interview experts in the field of brain health, whether that's neurology, psychology, integrative, naturopathic medicine, and more. So today we have with us Dr. Anto Bonchi, a neurologist who has a long career in studying addiction and the impact of drugs on the brain. He has published in prestigious scientific journals like Nature Neuroscience and Neuron, and Dr. Bonchi founded a behavioral health clinic in Miami, Florida, aimed at translating scientific discoveries and medical advances into personalized mental health treatment treatments for psychiatric conditions like anxiety, depression, drug and alcohol use, and more. So Dr. Anto Bunchi is known around the world for his contributions to the world of neuroscience. Dr. Bunchi is a pioneer of the revolutionary transcranial magnetic stimulation therapy, which can help improve mental health conditions that have previously resisted treatment. Dr. Bunchi is on a mission to change the way we perceive mental health and help each and every, every client that steps through his doors. So I'll go ahead and let Dr. Bonchi introduce himself to you, but today we're going to dive into the topic of transcranial magnetic stimulation, also known as TMS for future reference, and talk about its many useful and current, although unknown by most, applications towards helping people suffering from anxiety, depression, post-COVID symptoms, and addiction. So Dr. Bonchi, thank you for joining us today, and can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your academic and professional background? Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for, for inviting me. You're, you're very generous with your words. Uh, as always in science, you know, each one of us does a little bit of uh, discoveries and knowledge. So thank you for calling me a pioneer. There is a lot of, a lot of people that have contributed significantly over actually the last 35 years about this technology. So we will get into that in a little bit later. And uh, I love to talk about TMS which stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, because as you correctly pointed out, uh, this technology has been around for a long time, but most people don't know of its existence. And I love to talk about it because even if we are based in Miami, it doesn't matter where people are. I really want them to know that this is a, a very strong treatment option for a variety of conditions. So. I love to talk about TMS. Um, as for me, I went to medical school in Italy, in Rome at the Catholic University. Then I went to residency in neurology, also in Rome, at the University of Tor Vergata. And then I moved to the US for a postdoctoral fellowship at the Volume Institute in beautiful Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and I've been actually in the US since 1998, when I moved to San Francisco at UCSF to work with Robert Malenka, pioneer in brain plasticity. And I stayed in the United States since then. So I was a professor when I left San Francisco in 2010. So I was in San Francisco to run a research lab for 12 years and had an amazing time. I still miss San Francisco and, uh, and I love UCSF. And then I went at the NIH where I was there as the scientific director for NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse for nine years. And I also did, thanks to the people that worked with me, a lot of additional research, as you mentioned, to really try and understand complex behaviors like cocaine addiction and stress and uh, anhedonia, lack of um, energy and happiness. And uh, 
with these studies done by my phenomenal team, eventually we stumbled on a discovery that brought me to be interested in TMS. So this TMS is a phenomenally powerful technology. It has been around, it stands, as I said before, for transcranial magnetic stimulation. It has been around in the clinic, started in the UK with a doctor named Anthony Barker in 1985, and it was offered to patients in the UK for the treatment of medication-resistant depression. Uh, since then, if anybody's curious and if uh, any um, listener goes to PubMed or clinicaltrials.gov, they will find hundreds and hundreds of studies on the many applications, clinical applications of this TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, as you mentioned, for depression, uh, for anxiety, for addictions. So it's a very complementary, powerful treatment for lots of different conditions with very promising results in uh, many additional areas. Uh, it's been approved by the FDA several years now for depression, but also more recently for OCD treatment and for, for cigarette smoking cessation. And I'm sure that as the data comes up in the future, more and more indications for TMS will be approved. Um, the beauty of TMS is many different ways. It's non-invasive, so there is no need to drill any, use any needles or drill any holes in, in anybody's head, which is very important. It's a very light electromagnetic field, so the intensity of TMS on average is compared to a AAA battery. So you feel, because I do TMS for, for insomnia, you feel the electricity on your scalp, but it's not, it's not painful. At least I don't find it painful. And uh, it's perfectly you know, compatible. Lots of patients take whatever medications they need. They have any psychological support that they need, any lifestyle they choose, any religion, spirituality. So TMS, uh, this is a very important point, is not substituting for uh, other approaches. I don't, I don't like when, when you know, some people say just, just do TMS and everything else is going to be right. TMS has to be inserted into a very clear treatment plan, into a comprehensive treatment. But, but the beauty of TMS, again, is that it has several different effects on our brain. And as far as we know, uh, science is telling us that uh, TMS has an effect on brain plasticity. It does produce brain plasticity. It has, with the imaging studies shown that it increases brain blood flow. There is a neurochemical release effect. TMS releases many different chemicals, for example, dopamine. And uh, recent studies are showing that TMS can have also an anti-inflammatory effect when people measured in the peripheral blood uh, some inflammatory factors like, like interleukins, there seems to be a decrease of these inflammatory factors. So it's a very broad spectrum therapeutic tool that, that we can use. Uh, one very important thing, however, about TMS is that it's not fast. It's not gonna, at least in, in our experience, but in all the 
main studies that I've seen, it takes several weeks for the benefits of TMS to show up. So people may see improvements as early as a week or two, but for those improvements to last, it does take several weeks. And uh, several protocols consist of like 30, 32 stimulations. We usually try to recommend, you know, people to commit to it because results are very strong on average, but there has to be a commitment. So it's not a one day, two days fast fix for, for anything. This is a very important message. But, but the, the, the results, if I can use this, this beautiful example that Johnny Crowder uses in, in his talks, in his TED talks and whatnot, he says, as if you turn a giant ship one degree only, every day it looks like you haven't turned anything, but after a week, two, three, four weeks, the course of actions and the, the direction has really changed a lot. So, so it's an extraordinary tool that whenever it's indicated for patients can really help them. And um, I just want to stress this thing because lots of people, even in the United States, but it's the same all over the world. It sounds like the majority of people, and again, also very intelligent people, don't know that in 2021, we have several treatment options if they suffer from post-COVID anxiety or depression or addictions. Um, medicine, science, technology has made a tremendous progress. So I really um, invite people to be optimistic in the sense of reaching out to professionals because there are really strong treatment options nowadays, especially when you combine the power of TMS with, again, the strength of psychology, medications, really proper diagnosis, what neuroscience and neurology can offer. So I'm very optimistic on that front. And that is really the main message I, I want to give people to really reach out to professionals because the options we have now are really very powerful and different from, from a few years ago. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wanted to bring up the fact that I actually have never heard of TMS. Like the only time I've heard of it was when I got connected with you when I started researching a little bit of your your own research. And I was like, wow, what is this? Like, I, I don't even know what this is. And I think that that's really interesting considering, you know, I mean, you could even say like the, that depression itself is so prevalent in society today that it you would think different treatment options, like all options would be uh, well known. So I wanted to ask you, why do you think TMS is so relatively speaking, like not known to the general public? It's a beautiful question, Natalie. I honestly don't know. The, the scientific community that works on TMS is relatively small. So you'll be surprised. There are some phenomenal groups in the US and all over the world, but they are far, far few in between. So there's not a lot of us who actually do research or work or use TMS. That could be a factor. Um, gosh, beside that, I really, I really don't know. It's, uh, it's not easy with this enormous amount of new discoveries and information now to really uh, find among these thousands of new pages on the web every day. Everything moves so quickly. 
even even for people to have the ability to dissect what's really useful, what's new, and what gets lost into into this ocean of news and technology and information. So that that could be a factor. Um, I, I'm trying to think if there would be any other explanation, but, but I, I know that the scientific community is very vocal about TMS when it's useful, but no, I, I think it's simply, it's a challenge of these days. How can you make uh, technology emerge and be known and communicated to everyone and so that it doesn't stay up in a small group of people as, as knowledge? It's a, it's a very difficult challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like it. So I know you said that TMS works best in conjunction with other treatments, whether that's medication or uh, treatment from a psychological aspect. Um, but what does a typical treatment plan look like for TMS? And what exactly does TMS treatment involve on like a simplistic level? Yes, it's a beautiful question. So the most important part in general, Natalie, for every patient is the diagnosis. So I can make a very simple example on, on what happened to a, to a John Doe that came at, at, at GIA. So this person sits with us, we have, we have a free conversation, first of all, to just tell them, welcome. But first thing, they need to be diagnosed properly, right? Because I need to know through our psychologists or neurologists or psychiatrists, what is the diagnosis? Does John Doe suffer from anxiety alone? Does he suffer from anxiety and depression? Does he suffer from alcohol use disorders and anxiety or depression? This is very important because we need, we have different protocols for the different conditions that, that, that we need to treat. So if, if a person has anxiety, there is, for example, a certain protocol that was developed many years ago by colleagues at NYU, New York, and several other universities, which is a 20 minutes protocol, for example, and uh, it touches a certain part of your brain. If, if there is depression, the protocols are on a different location. So the diagnosis, first of all, is the fundamental part. Usually we recommend blood work, brain scans, because we really want to get a very complete picture of who the person is. And uh, once you really figure out whether there's any uh, imbalance in the blood chemicals, whether the brain scan is clear to go, then with the collection of data from the psychologist, from the neurologist or the psychiatrist, then you really come up with, with the diagnosis. Diagnosis is crucial for everyone because once you have a correct diagnosis, then you create a treatment plan which TMS protocols out of the many out there would be best for the patient. Does this patient, would this patient benefit from, from any medications? Would this patient benefit from, from certain specific types of, of psychological therapy? DBT, CBT, I'm making examples. Because we have seen that really the combination of whatever a person needs is much stronger than just psychological treatment alone or medications alone or TMS alone. It's, uh, it's attacking a problem from, from every angle. Uh, diet, it's another small example, but as you know, our diet changes our chemicals in many different ways, lifestyle, sleep. So we really try, so the message I'm trying to send is that 
there is a way to make every bit of change in our life count together with TMS, psychology, medications. And when you sum all these different parts, you really see the most uh, amazing progresses and changes in, in people. So that's in a nutshell our, our approach. So yeah, that's a that's a good approach. I really appreciate hearing your work with the holistic approach, not just kind of focusing on one aspect of health that's incorporating holistic health because we are whole people with different systems. So um, speaking of that, what are the benefits of TMS? Like, obviously one of them would be that it's non-invasive, but in regard to like treatment success, um, what is like, what have you seen there with that? Right. So we, we opened, uh, clinics, our first uh, clinical, uh, life started in Europe in 2016 or so. So we have more than five years now of, of data and experience in patients, particularly with cocaine addiction first, then alcohol use disorders. The majority of these patients suffered from, from depression or anxiety. We, we saw that, and we have published several of these studies that, uh, the, the majority of patients basically did reduce craving for their addiction or relapse to their addiction. So the, the majority in general, there is also a lot of data for, for depression because as I mentioned, we have 35 years of data and, uh, it, the, the data is very strong, even in terms of comparison with, with medication. So in my personal experience, the majority of patients, way more than 50%, in certain cases, up to 90%, they report changes in their lifestyle. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't relapse. As a matter of fact, about, uh, if I remember correctly, in some of our studies, about 50% of patients may relapse, for example, to cocaine. But it's very different that when a patient, for example, takes cocaine four to five times per week, and then they relapse every two months or so on average. So there is like, like it may happen if you have a chronic disease like, like diabetes or hypertension, it may happen that even if you take the best medications, your blood sugar or your blood pressure will actually go up in, in the pathological range. So if we consider this as chronic diseases as they are, I, I really want to try to destigmatize, okay, this person relapsed because something happened to her life or his life. So the treatment has failed. It is not true. Relapse can happen, but it's called harm reduction. If you take a patient from four to five times a week of several grams of cocaine to relapsing, you know, because of life happens every few weeks, that is already according to the patients and their families, a major improvement in their quality of life. So it's, uh, it's part of this concept of harm reduction. So in general, long story short, the vast majority of patients I've seen and we have seen over the last several years do report very long-term and significant improvements of, of their symptoms, whether it's for addictions or anxiety or depression. Interesting. So as you're talking, I, I have to ask this question because I'm very intrigued. 
But you said you've done uh, research and studies in Europe, as well as obviously now you're working in the US. Have you seen, um, I know you maybe can't talk specifically, but like result-wise or treatment-wise, have you seen, can you just talk about the comparison between like your time in Europe and your time in the US? It's a beautiful question because different cultures, different environments, different expectations, right? May, may lead to different outcomes. I have to say that to, to my surprise, I wondered the same thing. The results are very comparable. What patients report here, uh, if they had an alcohol problem or a cocaine problem or anxiety, what, what they say in terms of, I don't crave alcohol anymore. I don't think about alcohol anymore. I don't have the memory of the pleasure of cocaine or alcohol or whatever it is. I sleep much better. If I have anxiety, I feel much more balanced. It's surprisingly similar. So again, it, it's, it's an anecdotal report because we just opened a few months ago. So we are really babies in terms of uh, comparison of numbers. But surprisingly enough, it's a beautiful question. What people say is incredibly similar despite two different planets to, to what I've heard in Europe many, many times which is very reassuring yeah that's that's interesting i'll be honest i was expecting you to say maybe like different lifestyles with the american lifestyle and then you go to europe and it just seems like there's different lifestyles i was wondering mm. if that would affect you know the results but that's interesting that they're really comparable so i thought it was going to affect it yeah and so 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 far i've been wrong because I was expecting a much larger difference, just, just larger difference because of, again, a million factors of how, how we grew up in the US and what, what we want to achieve and, and all the beautiful things versus Europe. But still, at the end, very similar uh, comments and, and, and reports from, from patients on both sides. So it, it, it was a surprise to me. Yeah, surprises are good though. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so what challenge, if there is a challenge, presents itself when you have a patient who has maybe more than one disorder at the time? Is TMS still, uh, I guess, beneficial and like, does it treat both of them or does that take two different aspects? Obviously, I know you said you have to first correctly diagnose, which is very important. So you have to obviously diagnose two conditions, but does treatment uh, affect both or do you have to like come at them from two different points that's another very smart question if if a patient for example if i keep it simple we are very focused at gia on on very few diseases so we're talking about anxiety we're talking about depression talking about ptsd and additions we don't treat any other neurological or psychiatric conditions but if a domain, if a patient has, has a dual diagnosis in this domain, anxiety and depression, anxiety and addiction, we actually combine protocols. Um, pr protocols can be done in the same day. There are certain specific features on timing wise and whatnot. But uh, in general, if, if we stick to, to this domain, which is our competence, we do see progress on both sides. And uh, one good thing is that if patients suffer from, from addictions and depression, alcohol addiction, co cocaine, gambling, science has led us by pure serendipity to know that you actually stimulate the same site 
And the same site is this dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. It all started serendipitously before our work when, when a, um, a clinician in Milan, Ernestina Politi, she reported that patients with depression treated with TMS said that they didn't want to touch co cocaine anymore. So, and she was stimulating this depression side, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. So when a patient has addictions and depression, actually the location of stimulation is the same. And in general, again, I'm, I'm generalizing, we see improvements on both sides. So that is a, a dual diagnosis, whenever it happens, that needs only one treatment protocol, basically. So, but, but, but anxiety or OCD, for example, they have different location and different treatment protocols. Okay, so it depends on, depends on the condition, depends on that. Um, so I'm actually really curious about, I know you said you, you just uh, opened the clinic, but with regard to COVID-19, um, there's been a lot of highlighting depression, you know, more of like these psychiatric conditions. So I wanted to ask, have you seen an uptick in these conditions or substance use, or even as you were mentioning relapse during the COVID pandemic? Yes, absolutely. Gosh, several different comments. Uh, one, it happened that, uh, again, I'm speaking uh, and I dropped a little bit that several, even, even random friends said, said, Anto, I don't know why, I feel very depressed. Uh, all of a sudden, then they tested positive for, for COVID. I've seen that many times. We have seen patients that had before COVID anxiety and depression, or they were drinking a little bit too much or uh, had an addiction. COVID made it worse for a series of reasons, probably because of social isolation, because of uh, fear of losing jobs and, and, and whatnot. So in general, yes, we have noticed that patients that, that have anxiety or depression or suffer from some types of addiction and had COVID had a harder time, harder time than, than other patients and their symptoms got worse in, in general. So absolute yes. Uh, we are beginning, studies are beginning to come out on what actually COVID does to our brain. So we don't really understand whether there is a biological effect on certain chemicals, on certain brain regions that COVID has produced, but for sure we will learn more and more about it. So we, we're beginning to see, there are beautiful studies there that say, for example, that it can damage certain blood vessels, small vessels in our brain and whatnot, the inflammation component of COVID. Of course, it's important, but th there, there is gonna be much more of this, I think. And we don't have any idea, Natalie, about the long-term effects of the exposure of COVID on, on, on people that had COVID. So this will evolve as a picture, in, I think for quite a long time. Yeah, I can imagine. I was gonna ask you and follow up whether you have any patients who like, like they had COVID and then they, you know, they recovered from it. But I'm just curious, like I'm on whether that, like if there was a depression there, if it would still be there um, or how your treatment using TMS would affect that. But I guess, like you said, things are so, so soon that, you know, there's studies that haven't been done yet. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so sometimes if patients had COVID, their, their depression was 
harder to 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 attack with with TMS. It took maybe more sanctions, but but again, the numbers are too small to make any you know any strong claims. So we, we'll see. We'll see. I, I predict that this is going to be a very long wave in terms of mental health for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, so this is going to kind of backtrack a little bit before and more of introduction. So I'm really curious what motivated you to get in neurology. And also, I feel like uh, get into addiction and like substance use, especially cocaine. I'm, I'm really curious what motivated you to do that. The, the, the motivation was, was, was very simple and childish. I mean, since I was a child, I just wanted 12 people. And initially I wanted to be, when I was 12, I wanted to, to be a, a pediatrician and, you know, help, help children in Africa. Then, then I started when I was about 14, 15, to get really uh, hooked into complex behaviors. I had a cousin, he was in medical school, and I, I, I just loved to read during summertime his psychiatry book because depression anxiety these things back I'm, I'm talking about back in the 80s so we didn't know really much about it what what are they why how can we change and understand these complex behaviors so i really got hooked into that side of mechanism that underlie our our decisions our complex behaviors and uh since then i started just I fell in love with dopamine, with this molecule that is right in between neurology and psychiatry. It does play a role in motivation, in learning, but in addictions, in depression. So, and I just kept on studying until I, I found a lead on how to apply this TMS treatment. My, my motivation for GIA was that after 20 plus years in the academia and in these wonderful environments, amazing NIH, I felt that not much was, was trickling down to patients, not as quickly as I think it should in 2021. So I found, you know, just, just recently, this amazing investor that believed that we can give much better quality of care to everyone. So my personal dream, my moonshot, if I can, is that uh, as soon as I can, you know, homeless or billionaires, they should all have the same comprehensive, holistic quality of care. And uh, GIA is the first step into bringing everything together, psychology, neurology, psychiatry, brain stimulation, technology. And this is a model that I really want, hopefully, to diffuse and offer to, to everyone, really independent of their means as, as soon as we, we can afford it, because it should be done, should have been done yesterday, because we yeah. never the knowledge of the technology. So that's that's my my personal motivation. Yeah, that's very cool. You uh, so I'm I'm gonna you should brag about yourself right now because I'm gonna ask you no, <laughs> but you should. This is awesome work that you're doing. Um, and I know when I emailed you, you were talking about you just want to like reinforce in people a sense of hope. Um, and I really love that. And so, uh, like when you talk about, is it, is it GIA? Is that your clinic? Okay. I didn't know if it was GIA or if it was GIA, but, um, can you, can you talk about like what you guys are doing there and, um, just the important work that's happening? So we, 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 we really believe in the mission of educating everyone and that certain type of education should be free, first of all. So, our approach is, is, is really simple. If a, 
If a homeless calls Gia, if a random person calls and say, I want to understand about your clinic, we, you know, because we are still a very small new startup, we speak with everyone. We have a list of connections and places where everyone can find some help, independent on whether or not they, they come in Gia. So first step, if any random person calls, they are welcome to come and visit Gia. It's free. They come and visit us. They have conversations with me about the science and, and the blah, 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 Gia. They see our <laughs> team. And uh, just with that, we tell them, dear, you know, dear Lucy, dear John, you know, maybe you are not interested in Gia, but this is where you can go because you can find help for this. So that's our first step. And the next step for our patients really is to make them feel that instead of having to jump from building to building to building, they are surrounded by these four key components, the technology, the brain stimulation, psychology, psychiatry, neurology. And uh, basically, we just want to offer this very open-ended, we are here for you as long as you need. We are always available to answer any, any questions, to, to not make you feel that you are a number, but every story, every experience, we love to know about each one of our patients, who they are, what, what they love, and um, to, to make them feel that, that we are here for them, that, that there's not a clock or an expiration time where, okay, now day 28 is gone, bye. It's a, it's a very different experience. They, we want them to feel that they're, they're, they're never alone. So that's, that's my personal dream. That's what I, I wish to do. And uh, eventually, when we will be able to afford it, as I said, you know, in, in my dreams, is eventually we'll have enough money to create charities and to really have, we, we already offer scholarships, but to have that as a systematic part of our, our offering so that we are able to sustain the startup, but, but be able with, with that, that financial component, which is crucial for everyone to give actually back to, to, to society that cannot afford to, or will never see in the same place, a psychologist, a neurologist, a psychiatrist and get brain stimulation. So, and again, we, we have no intellectual property. So it's not something that I'm keeping jealously on my own. I speak with everyone. I, try to help everyone I can. And so is my, my medical team. And it's, it's small, it's a small company, Natalie, but if we never start from small, then we're never gonna achieve anything, so. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> that's a great explanation. So kind of going off with your like mission of educating, um, what role do you think education plays in these uh, disorders like uh, addiction or depression? Do you think there's a correlation there? Or? Oh gosh, that is a beautiful question. Y yes, yes, because if we, again, if we knew, if everyone knew what the consequences are of not getting treatment, most of all, if everybody knew that there is hope and that there are effective treatments, can, can you imagine how many more people would come forward and seek professional help. And, and also the education component has, has to do with, with our own experiences. You know, when I was a child, my, my parents had four years of elementary school age. They had no idea that sugar was 
not the best thing. They had no idea that, you know, a, a glass of wine in Italy for somebody who's even below 18 or like tasting wine, it, it's part of the, we just didn't know, they didn't know. And uh, so the certain cultures, just uh, um, cultures, every culture, I think, uh, doesn't have the proper education on what the consequences are of of certain behaviors. They don't have the knowledge that the depression is not your fault. Anxiety is not your fault. That these are diseases. Addictions are not the personality weakness, but, and this applies to, to every culture. So there is such a fundamental need for basic information in teenagers, in adolescents, in their parents. This is really a family education problem. So with education, with better education, I think that we could achieve so much more prevention, but also as a much higher level of treatment. Because when, when, I, when I was, gosh, 20 and I was very anxious, you know, the, the only option that I knew were benzodiazepines and I never took anything, just kept my anxiety. If I was born in 2021 or, or like a few years ago, I, and if I knew that you had plenty of options. I would run as I couldn't back and I just, just kept it and I, and I toughened up and I suffered. So, so education means information at the end. And, uh, and uh, there is one feature of all our patients independent from the what kind of, what level of society they come, they all ask very intelligent, very deep questions. So you kind of feel, Natalie, that the interest in knowing is there from, from, from everyone, but information is crucial. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to someone who might be a little hesitant about um, TMS because maybe it's something they haven't heard of? Uh, what would you say to just encourage them or not even encourage them, but just bring that education, provide that information? that I can send them uh, data worth of uh, millions of people, data that has been uh, collected by very independent entities on side effects, benefits of TMS, so that they can trust science as, as Do Dr. Fauci has shown in many different ways. Uh, science is not an opinion. Science is based on evidence and it's based on facts. So I would be more than happy to communicate with them and show them, you know, I do TMS on, on my own, on myself for, for insomnia. Many of our team members do it. And uh, because I trust science and, and I trust the data, which is done by phenomenal colleagues and scientists. So I can provide all of that information to anyone and, and it's free information. So That's awesome. I, I love that. I love sharing information. Um, <laughs> I have a, a few more wrap-up questions, but is there anything about, I don't know, your practice, your, your research? I know you've done a lot of research over the years, but is there anything you want to kind of highlight right now that I didn't ask you about? No, I, I think that it's science, too, too many details will be boring for <laughs> you. But uh, no, no, no. I think, Natalie, you did a wonderful job in covering all the important pieces. Really wonderful. Thank you. Um, so this is a very, very important question, not to be overlooked. Um, 
where did you like living the best? Was it Rome, Portland, San Francisco, or Florida? What what is what is your opinion on that? You know, that is an impossible question to answer because I lived at very different ages. I loved Portland because it was the first place that I landed from Italy. So for me, it was like America. It was incredible. Now, at this day and age, I love to be much closer to Italy. So I love to be in the East Coast. I loved San Francisco because it's just incredibly gorgeous. But, but San Francisco is very far from Italy. So, so it takes me too long. And I have family in Italy still too, to fly to Italy. So the downside, if, 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 if I had teleportation, no problem, but, but I need to be practical. Um, God, Washington, Washington is a beautiful place, but, uh, but I like on the East Coast, I like Miami more because I'm Italian, I'm messy, and <laughs> Miami is super, I, I love warm weather, I love the warm weather here, and it's multicultural. So, so far, I think that I am kind of a Miami boy <laughs> because of proximity to Italy, because of I just so many Italians here. And it's such a, it's, I, I love art and, uh, and, and, and I love the ocean. So I have many different pieces that I really love. And it reminds me of Italy a lot in many different ways. So I, I really love being in Miami at this, at, at this time of my life. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but it's the, it's the honest answer. That's fair. That's fair. Um, what kind of art do you like? Just to ask. Uh, I, I love paintings. I, I try to go to flea markets whenever I can to find like uh, paintings, modern, antique. I just, just love beauty. So I, I, I love modern art as well. And here in Miami, we have some amazing museums yeah. and really, really amazing young artists. So I love music. I, I play piano and then I play cello, but I suck at both, but, but it doesn't matter, I have fun. And so very, very, <laughs> I, I try a little bit of everything, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm not good at anything, which is okay, I have fun. <laughs> well, you're good at your job, so. <laughs> I hope so, I try. <laughs> I I try, try. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, that's pretty much a lot of the questions that I had for you today. Um, and so I guess, first of all, thank you to our listeners for listening to this, because this is very important to talk about, very important conversation to have. Um, personally, I want to say thank you to you, Anto, for taking the time out of your, I'm sure, busy day to meet with me. I really value that. Um, and uh, if, if you want to our listeners, if you want to learn more about anything that we talked about today, um, you can visit the website that I'll put in the episode description. Um, and you can visit the blog and then check out uh, Dr. Bonchi's work. Um, and then stay tuned for next week as we talk about the PACES and epilepsy program at the University of Washington. So thank you again, Dr. Anto Bonchi. Um, appreciate Nothing. it. My sincere pleasure. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you as well.